John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, 
what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. We're in a study in the gospel according to John, uh, and we're in a a section of John that that most people don't see as being connected. Uh, And that's where we'll begin this morning. Last week we looked at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And how much different could you be? Nicodemus and then this woman at the well, totally different. And yet, John put those back to back. He put those, uh, and he even introduced it. We saw that last week. We'll see it again. He introduced it with the the verses right at the end of chapter 2. But before we do that, we must pray. Because John Sartell cannot teach those that's going to make any difference in your life so that you'll walk out of here uh, saying, wow, that's really something. I can't do that. That's what the Lord does. That's the Holy Spirit. And we don't take any of that glory from him. So we begin as we come to God's word and open every time we bow before him and ask him to teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father is your priest, we bow before you. We've been out in the world this week striving to be salt and light, to communicate the gospel even through our words, our actions. But we come in here, Father, not as prophets taking taking your word to the world. We come in here as priests. You've called us everyone, not just ministers, not just elders, not just deacons, but you've called us all together to be priests, a congregation of priests. And so we bow before you now. And just as we took the gospel out to the world now, we bring the world before you. There's, Father, there's two families that, We continue to pray for. We thank you for how you've answered prayer. We pray for Sally and Phil Halley. We pray that you'll continue. Thank you for the improvement in Phil. We pray that you'll continue to bless him. Give him movement in his arms and legs. Our Father, we pray that you bless Dan and Eileen Wood. Thank you for the healing you've brought to her. We pray that Father, this would continue and that the doctors would be able to find exactly what it is that is causing this illness, this pain. Thank you for Dan's faithfulness. Thank you for Eileen's faithfulness. Father, when we would witness to her and lift her spirit, she always lifts our spirits. We thank you and ask for healing in that home. We pray, Father, for the PCA General Assembly. Oh, Father, this is your church. And we pray that in this week your spirit would do a great work. And that entire denomination 
Oh, Father, we pray that where confession is needed, there'll be confession. That where repentance is needed, there'll be repentance. That where worship and adoration of your transcendence is needed, there'll be worship and adoration of your transcendence. Father, where there needs to be preaching of your grace, bring the preaching of your grace. Father, this week, by the power of your Spirit, apply your word to the PCA. And now, Father, as we open your word, surely John Sartell cannot teach, so it will make any difference. So we pray, Father, in these next few minutes that you would speak in this room by the power of your Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Give us eyes to see what we haven't seen. Give us ears to hear, to hear again what we've heard before. And change us, Father, maybe some of us for the first time. Change us. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. She went to the well for water and met a stranger who already knew her. Tell me about the miracles of Jesus. Which are your favorites? Have you asked that question? What are your favorite parables? Well, what are your favorite miracles? Which stands out and intrigues you? In all my studies, I've never seen that what happened in the scenes with Nicodemus and the woman at the well, I've never seen it listed as a miracle. When you say to most people, uh, have you seen the miracle there in John chapter 3? you seen the miracle there in John chapter 4? They say, what miracle? It's just a conversation. <laughs> What's miraculous about these two conversations? We looked at it last week, and that's where we'll start again this morning. We look at an unseen miracle. John introduces chapters 3 and 4. He introduces the conversation with Nicodemus and the woman at the well at the end of chapter 2. Most people miss this. Look at John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Do you realize you could never say that about any human being ever except Jesus? He knew all people. He did not need to hear what others said about a particular person. He did not need to, hey, I need to get to know you. No, he already knew them to the very core of their being. After those words, look at it, after those words, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, he himself knew what was in man, the very next words are, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He says, for instance, let me tell you about Nicodemus and what Jesus said to him. He stood before Jesus as a paragon of outward obedience to God. He was dressed like a religious man. Everyone in Israel perceived 
So he was really well known. People knew him. He, he was perceived to be a social and religious leader, a holy man. But Jesus knew him. It wasn't a down and out man, a drunkard in, the, in an alley that Jesus quoted John 3.16. That Jesus said, for God so loved the world, whosoever believeth in him. That's who he said it to. He saw beyond this outward religious life and boldly told Nicodemus, if you're to be saved, you must be born again. Nicodemus had been working all of his life, and this has plagued the church for the last 2,000 years. We try to bring an inward transformation by an outward reformation. That's impossible. All our obedience, all our reading, all our going to Sunday school, that doesn't change us on the inside. Only the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, can do that. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need an inward change that will then shape the outer man. How did Jesus know that? He had just met this man. Well, he knew it because he needed no one to bear witness about man, for himself knew what was in man. In the conversation with the woman at the well, Jesus again demonstrates this miraculous knowledge. She's a stranger. She had not seen him previously. He had not seen her. This was their first conversation. Look at it. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Jesus shows a knowledge of her that he could not possibly know unless it were supernaturally disclosed to him. That's why we respond. She's shocked. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know what's, Jesus, you know what's impossible to know. You know things about me no one else knows. She says something miraculous is going on here. So the woman, now look at verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She might as well have seen Jesus make a blind man to see or a paralyzed man to walk. She had seen, she had heard a miracle. You know, the story of Nicodemus and the woman in the well are not recorded in any of the other Gospels. Why did John record these? He told us. It was just one more evidence. One more, two more miraculous evidences that he was indeed the Son of God. So we see first an unseen miracle. Now let's look at this conversation and we see first an unexpected request. Look at it in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned from the Pharisees, and when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus was passing through Samaria on his way to Galilee. We're told that this woman was a Samaritan woman. So we must understand why that's important. Who were the Samaritans? And why was it important in John's day and to this story? It goes all the way back to Solomon. In, after Solomon's reign in the Old Testament, the ten most northern tribes of Israel broke away from the two southern tribes of Israel. They, why did they break away? They resented the high taxation that was being put upon them by the king reigning in the southern kingdom, by the, or the reigning in the south, in Judah, in Jerusalem. Samaria, when, it broke, when, when these ten north tribes broke away, Samaria became the capital city of their country. They were called Samaritans. In 721 B.C., Samaria was conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians carried off about 30,000 citizens of Samaria. They replaced them with people from Assyria and Babylon. And you know what happened. They intermarried with the Jews of the land, so the, just as Assyria intended. And the people of the southern kingdom looked at the Samaritans as being half-breeds in race and religion. Over the centuries, a real animosity emerged between the two peoples. Look at verse 9. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for, for drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, Jewish agriculture in the south would do business with the Samaritans but with no personal contact it was all limited the shortest way to Galilee in the north the shortest way to Galilee from Judah was to pass through Samaria many Jews refused to take that route they wanted no contact they could take an alternate route that took them up the east side of the Jordan. But that was longer. Took longer. But some would go that route to avoid any contact with the Samaritans. Notice that the woman did not say to Jesus, You're a Jew. What are you doing here? Why aren't you over on the east side of the, of the Jordan? She had seen many Jews passing by this famous well. It was a common sight. But none of them had ever asked for a drink, not from her. If he accepted a drink from her, that would be unclean. The cup would be unclean. 
By Jewish law, Samaritans were unclean. So with that context, let's look at the details of this conversation. Jesus is tired from his journey from Jerusalem. Jesus was deity. How can he be tired? But he was truly man. This passage is often cited when people are debating back and forth between the deity and humanity of Jesus. Look at this. Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. The disciples had gone into Sychar to buy food. He was thirsty. Please give me a drink. Tired. He would sweat. I was one time talking about this passage. And I said, yes, Jesus did sweat. And Jesus did have body over. After the message, this lady had come just attacked me and said, my Jesus never had body odor. I said, then you know nothing of the humanity of Jesus. Nicodemus, as we look at at this conversation, Nicodemus was the one who sought Jesus out. He came seeking a conversation. That's why we entitled the sermon last week, You Really Want a Conversation with Jesus? You're Serious? Nicodemus started the conversation. Here at the well, Jesus starts the conversation. Wow. Would you draw a cup of water from me? Just think about that. Jesus, the son of God and son of man from eternity, is saying to this lady, please give me a drink. This was a deep well. Jesus had no way of drawing the water. She could have said, I'll be glad. You look tired. I'll be glad to draw you some water. You look like you're tired from your journey. As a Samaritan woman accustomed to being shunned by Jews, she answered his request with cynicism. You're a Jew. Why would you ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? She had been coming to this well all of her life. This had never happened. She had seen Jews at the well but none had ever asked for water. People, Jesus looked at her. He knew this woman. Think about it. Think about it. He wanted to talk to her. Would you give me a drink? An unseen miracle, an unexpected request. Thirdly, I want you to see an unsurpassed offer and claim. Jesus answers her cynicism with another sentence she had never heard. Look how Jesus answered Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, like Nicodemus, she interprets Jesus' words on a physical level. When Jesus told Nicodemus, you need to be born again, Nicodemus, what did he say? How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? How can I do this? The woman did the same thing. She said, You have no way of drawing water. This well is deep. Where will you get this living water? People have been coming to this well for 2,000 years. Are you greater than Jacob? That's what she was saying. Go back and look at it. Are you greater than Jacob? (laughs) I love this. Jesus looked her right in the eye and said, yes, I am, in fact. You drink of the water from Jacob's well and you'll be thirsty again. You drink of the water I will give you, you'll never thirst again. 
Jesus hit a nerve with this particular woman, and she wants that water. Sir, give me this water. And Jesus presses her sensitive nerve once more with a peculiar command. Suddenly, he says, go call your husband to come here. She tries to hide from his probing, and she says, I I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, lady, I know you. You're technically correct in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands. And by the way, the man you're living with now is not your husband. This hit the woman hard. Jesus had been a complete stranger to her, but he obviously knows everything about her. The part of her life he had chosen to reveal was a touchy subject. We all have those parts of our lives. Her previous husbands may have left her. She may, they may have died. She may have left them. She may have been promiscuous. That she was living with a man outside of marriage probably supports the promiscuity view. And she had come to the well in the heat of the day. It was a sixth hour. It was noon. Traditionally, women of these towns, these cities, came to the well early in the morning or later in the evening when it was cooler. She came in the heat of the day. She was alone. Maybe she had been ostracized by other women. Whatever the details were, Her life had been one of constant change and upheaval in the most basic relationships of her life. Five husbands. And now an intimate relationship outside of marriage. This is why Jesus said, I have water that will satisfy. You have lived a constant thirst. You have lived in constant thirst. Metaphorically, you keep going from well to well, looking for contentment, looking for satisfaction, and you've not found it. I love this part of the story. She tries to hide his, from his delving probe by asking a theological question. Brian and I could tell you, I meant to ask you about that this week, Brian. Brian and I could tell you stories. If you're a minister today, you can tell stories like that. You start talking to someone about sin, about Jesus. They know you're a minister. And they'll say, well, you're a Presbyterian. Let's talk about predestination. That's what's going on here. You know, you're a minister. Uh, Did Adam have a navel? You know, doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and sin, but, you know, just trying to get away from it. That's what this woman was doing. She says, hey, you're a prophet. Let me ask you a theological question. Where should we worship? In the temple created by the Samaritans up here in Samaria? Or at the temple that God appointed down in Jerusalem? Now, this was one of the largest sticking points. This was debated every day, every time a Jew met a Samaritan. This was the big debate. All right, where do you worship? Jesus answers her question quite accurately. And closes by bringing her back to the issue at hand. Look at what he says. He says, the time is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the woman then makes her own theological statement. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us where we should worship. Mark those words. 
That's exactly what Jesus had been doing, telling her all things, even about her own life. Jesus then clarifies what he alluded to earlier. You're looking for Messiah. I who speak to you am he. Don't you love that? She's sitting there. They waited thousands of years for a Messiah. You speak to the Messiah, lady, I am he. Well, the disciples return interpreting, interrupts, not interpreting, interrupting this personal and dynamic interchange. We'll focus on what Jesus said to the disciples next week. He strikes up us. It's a real important conversation. It's about evangelism. It's about witnessing. You do not want to miss that. This is it's awesome. But right now, I want to follow the woman. She's so stunned and astounded that she even leaves her water jar at the well and hastens back to town. What is her news? Does she just go home and sit quietly and say, wow, that sure was strange. What's her report? Come see a man. She went door to door. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So we see an unseen miracle, an unexpected request, an unsurpassed offer and claim. And that brings us to an unlikely witness. I love this. A woman with a checkered past and lifestyle. A Samaritan at that. She is the first. Jesus told used her to first bring the message about himself, that he's a Messiah to Samaria. This is the woman that he chose. Now, I said an unlikely witness. Years ago, I would make that observation about people. Here's this great sinner or this person that's so far away from the kingdom and, and they, I would say they're unlikely witnesses or here you see the real magnificence of God's grace as if it didn't take magnificent grace to save us or to save me. Oh, people, don't look at this. Don't look at this. And speak of her being an unlikely witness as if you're not, as if I'm not. I've told you over and over again, if you knew my heart, you'd say, John, what are you doing in that pulpit? I'm a sinner. We're all unlikely witnesses. Folks came to see and hear Jesus because of what this woman told them. And they begged him to stay, and he stayed with them. The Messiah of Israel stayed with them for two days. I want us to come away from this scene, from God's Word, with two truths. First, what is the living water that satisfies? What is the living water that brings contentment? It's simple. Jesus is. He's speaking of himself. Look at John 7, 37 and 39. It's on your scripture sheet, if that will help you. On the last day of the feast... John 7, 37 to 39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What did Jesus say right after they met? Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and knew it is that saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give in you water. If you knew the grace of God, if you knew the bounty of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask him for living water. Remember in the conversation previously, he had said, I'm the Messiah. That's the only way he could have said, I can give you living water. It rests on the identity of Jesus. I'm the Messiah. Right now, 2,000 years later, in this sanctuary, the sanctuary, the gathering of God's people, Jesus has looked right at you, looked right at me, and said, I am that Messiah. The Messiah is speaking to you right now. The theological liberals in all denominations deny the deity of Jesus. They deny the incarnation. They say, we're modern. We cannot believe in fairy tales. Well, what did they do with the miracles of Jesus? I, I lived for three years in such a seminary. And that was my first question. And their only answer was, Jesus never claimed to be deity. And they spend all their lives, all their studies, saying he never claimed to be deity. They don't know what to do with passages like this because Jesus claimed deity and claimed to be Messiah on every page of the Gospels. If Matthew was standing here and John was standing here and the world would say to them, well, you were there, you saw it, you know that he never claimed to be Messiah. <laughs> they would have said, have you lost your mind? We know one gigantic truth. If that's what you think, you've never read the Gospels we wrote, and you don't know the Jesus we know. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'm asking you, do you believe this? He was speaking to a lady that did not have faith, and he confronted them, just as you're being confronted right now. If you're confused about this, he's standing before you right now through his word. And he's saying, I am he, I'm the Messiah, the son of God and son of man. This is not John Sartell's testimony. This is a testimony of Jesus himself. And you can say, Jesus, I don't believe you. You can call him a liar. You can call him a fraud. But you cannot say Jesus didn't claim to be the Messiah. The second truth from this passage is based on the first truth. Because he is Messiah, because he is deity, he's the living water that satisfies. Do you know what that water is? Have you ever tasted that water? Have you ever tasted of Jesus? Jesus was saying to the woman who had come to the well to get water, 
There's another well you may drink of. That well is filled with living water that will satisfy, that will take away the thirst that has been driving you all of your life. Five marriages and now a relationship outside of marriage. And you've never been satisfied. I have the water that will satisfy. She kept going from well to well, looking for contentment, looking for satisfaction. It never satisfied. You know what? We've all done that. Even as Christians, we still do that. We forget. And we go to the wells of the world. I do it. You do it. The well of fame, the well of being popular, the well of having wealth, the well of success, the well of sexual pressure. We keep going, looking, looking, looking. And we say things like, well, when I finally find the right husband, I'll be satisfied. When I find the right wife, I'll be satisfied. When I get married, I'll be satisfied. When I make enough money, I'll be satisfied. When I get the right job, I'll be satisfied. Christian, it's one thing. It's one thing for the world to do that. But you know Christ. We have no business doing that. I will close by reading one verse. And I will let you interpret it yourself. This is God speaking to Jeremiah and to the people of Israel. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. What's the first evil? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. What's the second evil? And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Those wells that we keep attending, they don't hold water, not that will satisfy. That well is Jesus Himself, and there's no other place to go. Our closing hymn is most appropriate. Hymn number 509, Jesus, lover of my soul. I pray that you'll sing this hymn this morning. If you're a Christian, I pray that you'll sing it, sing it coming home to him. If you're not a Christian, I pray that you'll sing the words of this hymn for the first time in your life and know what that satisfaction is. M number 509.
may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us and all of God's people said, Amen.